Hi, my name is Annabella, and I am recovering, aka waking up <laughs> one moment at a time. Um, so we were just sitting silently for a few minutes, and uh, <laughs> and I was thinking about my sandwich in the fridge, <laughs> and don't forget to take it home. So uh, I will start with one of my programs, which is Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I, uh, I was born and raised in Miami, and um, my parents are uh, Cuban. So they came over in the 60s, and there was a lot of uh, sort of the the culture and, and where they came from was one of uh, do not waste food ever. You know, rarely would food get thrown out. And, um, and just about every medical or physical sort of mishap that you had or was, was um, remedied through food. I remember my, my grandmother and her two sisters came over when I was when I was one year old, actually, and um, I was raised a good portion of my life uh, with under their reign. <laughs> and, um, and I remember I would complain about anything. I was like, I have a headache. And, uh, and they'd say, es, eso debilidad, that's weakness. You need to eat. You're like, you'd bang your knee. That's, you know, it's clumsiness. You need to eat. Everything was fed. Um, so, uh, so we ate a good deal, and it was, uh, it was a kind of food that was, um, you know, the uh, food of the people, rice and beans and that kind of, you know, uh, that kind of soul food and in enormous amounts. Um, so anyway, that's sort of what I was, the uh, legacy that I was born into. Um, as a... As a child, I um, I remember distinctly uh, again in the sort of the theme of being fed. Everything can be fed, um, and in my case, everything can be overfed. <laughs> and I remember one instant when I was with my grandmother, and um, and she was giving me the last bite of dessert after a massive meal, and she said, uh, "Just one more bite," and I said, "I can't." Just one more bite. I said, I, I can't. I really can't. Come on, this last bite, and I promise I'll leave you alone. So I took that last bite, and then I threw up all over her. <laughs> and um, ironically, what I remember of that is that she didn't, she didn't get angry. She just went right into just cleaning it up. And I don't know, maybe she felt a little bad for overfeeding me. Um, but I think that was... Maybe the first time that I experienced overeating, though not by my particular hand, and um, I don't know, maybe it was ominous, you know, and then the throwing up. Um, so, uh, so anyways, there was, there was that. Um, my father was very, very strict. He came from a different culture, as I said, where, you know, there's two sets of rules uh, one for the boys and one for the girls, and guess who got the short end of that stick? 
So um, with regards to things like sexual sort of healthy introductions to things, there was none of that, you know. Um, my father got very, very uncomfortable when, when, we, when he started to see the changes in our bodies or, you know, the idea that we would start dating. Uh, there was always this, this sense that I got that he would, uh, that he was losing his girls, which is what happens, right? So, so anyway, he was very, very strict, and um, without getting too much into detail, there was, uh, there was a fair amount of physical abuse in my house, and um, and I remember thinking, you know, during the beatings, where I would rather take the beatings than the verbal abuse or the punishments. I would rather just bring it, bring it on. That's right, beat the shit out of me, and then, and it was almost, it almost got to the to the point where it was like my sort of badge of courage, my holy grail, like I can take it, I can take it. And, um, you know, not so ironically, I still have traces of that today, the uh, how, how much can I take? You know, how many more blocks can I walk without eating? How long can I stave off the next meal? You know, the, the next liquid, the next whatever, you know, that let's see how long I can go without. Um, so uh, so that was a sort of, you know, the strictness and, you know, and, and I, I, never, I never understood how to, uh, how one could actually have a, a friend that happened to be a boy. It wasn't, I never learned that. Um, as a matter of fact, it was highly discouraged. Uh, I remember one time when um, a friend of my father's saw me with a friend of mine, um, this friend Norberto, we were, this was later in life, I was in a, a mall just hanging out with him. I had zero, zero attraction to this guy. I mean, he was uglier than brick. And I remember my father that, that evening saying, you know, yeah, I talked to, I talked to Carlos today. He said he saw you at, you know, at the mall with, uh, with that guy. And, uh, and then he said, I don't want you hanging out with that guy anymore. You know, he's not your boyfriend. I'm like, no, he's not my boyfriend. I don't want you hanging out with him. If he's not your boyfriend, it doesn't. You you shouldn't. That that that's not proper. I was like, uh, so let me get this straight. If I were having sex with him, it would be okay. <laughs> um, I didn't ask that because I knew I would have gotten the shit beat out of me. <laughs> um, so that's the sort of mentality that I was raised on, and you know, pretty much terrified of. Like, not even terrified. I didn't even, I didn't even graduate to terrified. I, was, I, I, I hung out at Clueless, like zero idea of how to engage with boys and men. You know, I sort of watched my sisters, you know, have boyfriends and whatnots. And my, my oldest sister was very, um, she was sort of a trailblazer. Um, so, you know, there wasn't a lot that early on that I saw that I was able to control in my household, you know. Um, 
it was pretty pretty much under lock and key for the most part. I remember having to be really, really crafty and resourceful in terms of how to package things so that my father would let me go to the dance. Like, I remember coming into his room with a brand new dress and sort of showing it to him and, and, and you know, swinging around. Do you like this dress? He's like, yeah, that's a really pretty dress. It's not, you know, yeah. And then as I was walking out of his room, I'd say something like, yeah, it's for the dance on Saturday. And then, um, and then I would go to the dance on Saturday and he would come home Saturday night, where is Annabella? And my mother would be like, she's at the dance. She said, what dance? She said, she said that, you, that, you, that you said it was okay for her to go to the dance. I, I, it was so hard for me to be direct, you know, so I got really, really crafty. And so then uh, when I came home, of course, he was, he was waiting for me. And, um, and like, who told you you could go to the dance? I'm like, Dad, I came into your room and I showed you the dress that I was going to wear to the dance. And I'd like, it's so interesting how still, still I can be so crafty with not a flat out direct lie, but a skirting around the, uh, you know, I can still do the not mention, fail to mentions, you know, which are a little more subversive. Um, and sometimes I'm actually, you know, uh, uh, sort of pleased with myself that I'm so crafty <laughs> but um but you know in the end it just it, it takes a toll because you know you you know that uh, the bottom line is that I'm afraid I'm afraid of of hearing no and I heard no so many times when I was a kid that to this day I walk into a room and I expect the no I expect that no so where was the yes? The yes was in my body. The yes was this is one thing I can control. This is one thing my father can't touch. So I, uh, I went on a little mission. And uh, I uh, little by little stopped eating, you know, decreased the food pretty significantly. I'm a very small person already. And um, so uh, what I would do is I would, uh, I would work out in my room alone, I would, uh, back in the days when we had hi-fi and those big ass, whatever headsets that you put on, very 70s, very boogie nights. And, um, and then I would, uh, jump up and down in my, in my room, like late at night when everyone was sleeping. And, um, and then I started to, you know, I, as I said, I started to whittle down the food and little by little eat less and less. And, and the less that I ate, the more powerful and, the, and rush, the adrenaline rush. Um, I always feel so much more capable, even to this day, I won't lie. I, f I feel so much more capable on an emptier stomach than I do on a, on a, on a filled stomach. It's, uh, it's very palpable for me. Like after I have a meal, I immediately feel a little bit hopeless, a little despondent, a little like um, uninspired by life. You know, there's this little hum of adrenaline and, and, and high and you can do it and, and the appearance of clarity and um, per perceptiveness, this sharpness that comes from being on an empty stomach. Um, and you know, this could all be illusion, 
you know, one of my one of my mottos or mantras that I that I have to tell myself all the time today is that starving is not preparation. I don't care what you're coming up for. Starving is not preparation. Um, neither is binging, but because uh, I tend to gravitate toward the uh, uh, staving and starving. That's that's mostly what I need to watch. So anyway, so I um, uh, I also remember, uh, as I said, I'm from Miami, and uh, you know I I was fortunate enough to be in Miami in the cocaine eighties. <laughs> so right place, right time. So you know for for this for this person for me, uh, the fast drugs were the best. I hated pot. I hated anything that made me um, that slowed me down. For me, it was boom, 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 fast, fast, fast. Fast, fast, fast was always equiv- equivalent or um, e- equivalated. I'm sorry. I make up words every now and then, so I'm going to make one up right now. Equivalated to uh, losing weight, burning calories, fast, fast, fast. You know, plus the idea of the, the, the stoner munchies for me was absolutely mortifying, like, so for me, the, the best day in the world was when I'd starve all day and, uh, and then would drink. Because drinking on an empty stomach, it, wouldn't, it takes a drop for me to like just go crazy. That and, and the cocaine. And I do remember when I got, I got my hands on, a, on a, a fair amount of cocaine. I actually st- stole it from a family member, which shall remain nameless. Um, and uh, and I had this stash for a while, and I would use it. And here's the interesting thing: is like in one of my moments of such dire desperation, I actually went to this sibling, and I knew he had come across a lot of cocaine, and he was um, he was selling it, I guess, whatever. And when I saw when I saw that bag, all I saw was weight loss. That bag was weight loss to me. And, um, and I remember going in at the depths of my desperation and feeling and, sh- and really kind of pathetic. Uh, and pathetic, I don't mean like, I mean, I mean sad. I mean sad. And, um, and literally begging this sibling to please let me have some, some coke, some cocaine, that uh, that I needed it to lose weight, that I, I wanted it, you know, for that. And he said, uh, he said I'm not going to give you any coke. Go on a diet. You know, do exercise because I'm not going to. And I walked out, and when I walked out, I knew that I was going to, at some point, turn around and take it. And I did. One day, one day when he wasn't there, I, I took a bunch and put in a bag. So anyway, so Miami, in the middle of the summer, about 100 degrees, humidity, I wrapped my whole body in saran wrap, put on three layers of sweats, did I don't know how many bumps of Coke, and went out jogging in the middle of the sun and heat. Um... It's a miracle that I'm alive today. A miracle. I can't tell you how many times I've 
driven home completely, completely wasted, wake up the next morning, zero idea how I got home. And, um, and I remember it just being eventually this sloppy mess where I would go out drinking and then I would come home and, and binge because I was drunk so I didn't care and then wake up the next morning. Either I had uh, thrown up the food or if I hadn't, then it would be, it would, what it would mean is about a week, a week and a half, maybe longer of detoxing, which means starving and getting rid of the sin that I committed Saturday night. Um, and it's funny too, because when I was, um, like even sex, even sex became exercise and how many calories I'm burning. Like nothing was immune to it. It's like I'd walk a block. Every, everything was in the interest of burning calories or losing weight. You know, sure, sure. I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, sure. How many calories can I lose or, you know, burn? So Needless to say, it was a very, very small world. So anyway, so I whittled down eventually to uh, really thin. I must have been, I don't know. I, I sort of rigged my weight, my scale also. When I would step on it, I would hang on to a few things and then let go little by little and as the number would go up. And if it got to the number that like past the number that I, I, I had limited, I, I wouldn't look or I would get off or I wouldn't let go of that thumb leaning on the shelf. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and, uh, but I did, I did get really, really thin because, um, uh, you know, not because I noticed it, but because other people started to tell me. And I remember being at school one time and, um, I remember a friend of mine looked over at me, and we were in the cafeteria, and she looked over, and it was my, my profile that she was seeing, my side, and she said, oh my God, Annabella, you are so skinny. And she said it in a way like complete concern and, um, and worry, and all I heard was power and compliment and, admiration and all of that other stuff that comes with it and uh and my father I remember one day also called me into the room or I was you know we had to we had to go into his room at one point we only had one bathroom in the house and we were like seven people actually with my grandmothers we were like nine ten maybe and um and and one of the bathrooms was broken so we had to we had, we had to go into their room. And so I, I went, I bolted into his room to go to the bathroom and he stopped me. And he said, uh, he just looked at me, he goes, Annabella. And he said, lift your shirt. And I said, what? He said, lift your shirt. And I lifted my shirt and the look on his face of how thin I had gotten was, again, the power surge, but also like payback. Like, yeah, now you, now you suffer. Now you, you can't, this is the one thing you can't touch. And um, it just, I mean, I think about it now and it just sort of, 
breaks my heart how I thought that I was doing that to him when when the person paying is is me and um but it was such a moment of confused triumph um I mean what was I winning and I walked out of there victorious victorious so eventually the 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 control jig was up and um you know i i just i got so hungry and you know your body just at some point you know the willpower um thins out thankfully i didn't become anorexic to the point where uh i had to be hospitalized it's funny i remember people referencing you know that they were uh failed anorexics and I started thinking what what is a what is a failed anorexic and and I thought oh right a failed anorexic is a dead anorexic and um as long as you're alive there's hope I guess so um so then I was watching one day this movie (laughs) hang on a second The Best Little Girl in the World. And this was a movie um, that starred Jennifer Jason Leigh. And it was a movie about, she had anorexia. And I remember in one of the scenes, she went to the doctor, and the doctor did the same thing, like lifted her shirt, and they showed her the back angle of her, and it was pure, pure ribs. It was something like out of Auschwitz. And uh, it was in this movie where, uh, and I remember watching it with my brothers and sisters, where Jennifer Jason Lee's character uh, went on a tear, a binge, and then she went to the bathroom, and she threw up. And all of my brothers and sisters, it's, it's, it's incredible, the information. You know, people say that uh, for a while there, there was that whole thing of, like, you know, don't let your kids watch this about gun. Don't let them do that. Don't let them watch that because it, the power of suggestion, the this and that. You know what? You are where you are. Um, my brothers and sisters were like, that's disgusting. And for me, that was a light bulb moment. And um, that's where I was. Nothing. Whether or not I would have watched that movie, eventually I would have I reached the, I'm going to throw up. Now I could have my cake and eat it too. And so then I graduated from anorexic to bulimic, and I was a violent bulimic. I mean, you know, uh, I threw up probably two, three times a day. And, um, and then I would go out in the trampoline and get, and get sun for hours unprotected. You know, it's like this savage, this just brutal, brutal mission and crusade to, you know, to get skinny and to look tan because, you know, when you're tan, you look 10 pounds thinner. And, um, and, uh, and I remember, you know, when I lost the reflex, of the throwing up, I had to, I put all sorts of objects, toothbrushes, the bristle side in, anything, and coughing up blood and not caring, like like going to any lengths, any lengths to get it out. And um, and so that, that was my life for a very, very long time. And 
and it wasn't and so you know that was that was miami and you know and i went to therapist therapist these doctors in miami they was um they specialized in eating disorders and that was the start of it but it really wasn't until i um entered the rooms until i came into oa and sat in a room full of people who weren't disgusted by the things that i was sharing or you know would share the, the very same things um and um, that I was able to eventually, you know, stop, stop binging. Um, and I remember my last binge was uh, I had moved to New York. I, I entered recovery, at least uh, the 12-step rooms when I got to New York. And my, my um, sister and her kids, they were really young back then, had... Um, and her husband back then too, and my mom had come to watch me run the marathon, the New York City Marathon. And um, <laughs> I'm laughing now because I was smoking cigarettes up to the very, the night before I ran the marathon. I remember like blowing smoke out of my kitchen window, like literally eight hours before I was gonna run the marathon. And my mom looking at me like, should you be doing that? Um, Anyways, so we had all had, uh, you know, we, we'd all just come from dinner, and I knew the moment I sat down to have that, the, the victorious dinner post-26 mile, that I was going to throw up that food. And so my sister and her husband and my mom, they went around the neighborhood and said, we'll meet you back in your apartment. So I had my niece and my nephew with me. And I told them, uh, they were young too. I said, here's the keys to my apartment. I just need to pick up some things. Um, and I let them go into my apartment alone. And I went and, and, and got a, like a quart of yogurt and bought a bunch of stuff. And then uh, when I got to my apartment, I was like, I need to take a shower. We, well, here, why don't you guys put the TV on? And I put them in front of the TV and oh, it just breaks my heart. It's so consuming to have an addiction. There's no room for anything else. It is such, it is such a selfish lover. No one, no one can enter. Um, there's really no room for anything or anyone else. And I went in and I turned on the shower like the many, many times that I did when I was in Miami in my parents' house. And, uh, and I did the deed. And I came out, foggy, hungover, and sat there with them in that sort of post-drunk kind of state. There, but not really. And for whatever reason, that was looking at them in that moment and seeing how incredibly separated I felt from, from these two kids who had no idea no idea what I was up to. Um, something clicked. And then I heard in the rooms one day, this woman shared, she said, um, I had to stop purging in order to stop binging. And for some reason that stuck with me. I couldn't understand exactly what it meant and for a little while. And then basically what it meant was, okay, sweetie, you can eat whatever you want, but you cannot throw it up. So I had a few episodes where I ate whatever 
I wanted. And I don't think I went into a full-on binge because going into the food, knowing that you cannot throw it up, makes you think twice. So there were a few mornings where I woke up with knowing that I had eaten a fair amount of food. And then little by little, going into these potential binges saying, okay, sweetie, you can eat what you want, but you cannot throw it up. And literally grabbing, like clawing my chair, saying like many, many episodes of like, nope, you can't throw this up. You can't throw this up. And something much greater than me must have helped me and guided me and carried me through those episodes because there was no way in the past that I would have been able to um, restrain, refrain from throwing up. Like the idea of having that food inside of me was I'd rather put a bullet in my head than live with the consequences of that. But, But something woke me up the next morning and something kept me there. So by the grace of God... I was um, I was able to one day at a time, you know, not not purge, not necessarily. Oh, I, I overate for a while, but you know, knowing that I didn't have the option helped. Um, so uh, so race forward. Um, I am. Um, God, I lost count. Let's see. Nineteen ninety nine was when I got both. Uh, binge, binge free, um, purge free, and also uh, sober. And um, I didn't quit the cigarettes because that would have been suicide. <laughs> Let's be realistic. Come on. Uh, but I've been off cigarettes now probably nine, ten years. So all in all, I'd say I've been clean, sober, abstinent for about 16, 17 years now. And um, and what's happened is, you know, I heard a long time ago they said, uh, they told me that uh, putting the drink down or the food or the cigarette or the sex, whatever, whatever your fav- favorite brand of neurosis is, um, is the easy part. It's everything that comes up and what happens after you put it down. That's, that's where the recovery is. And for me, it was, it got better, then it got worse, then it got real. And um, that better, worse, real is, I go through rounds of that daily, daily. Every time that I have an awareness or I don't pick up or I have an incident, you know, even, even with meditating, it gets worse gets better it gets worse then it gets real like I go through rounds of that all the time in all parts of my life work you know whatever that is relationships you know and um and for today you know I I don't know that I will ever be able to completely shake off that that high and little rush that I have from an empty stomach and pushing off the meal just a little longer. Um, But I'm told by some very uh, um, amazing people that, that work on themselves actively and fearlessly 
that all I need is to be aware of it. It's radical to think that really all I need to all I need to do is see it. You know, awareness doesn't have results. Awareness is just awareness. And um and I can't push. I can't push wanting to not get the high from not eating or you know uh, whatever that is. Um so uh so I think that the um, the ongoing challenge is to, and I learn this in the rooms a lot, is how do we sit with the discomfort? How do we sit with it without going to the go-to, whatever that is? You know, I've got 17 years abstinent, clean, sober, abstinent, and I still, uh, at nights, you know, want to still do sometimes, you know, have my big bag of Trader Joe popcorn um, because it's only $1.59, that big bag. And for some reason, the fact that it's cheap doesn't mean, doesn't makes me feel less guilty. The fact that I spend little money on this, you know, binge or snack, whatever that is, makes me feel less guilty about it because there's finances all over this, you know, anorexia, like there's financial anorexia, there's sexual anorexia, there's a there's so many, and, and really the bottom line is, is just deprivation. It's just deprivation. And these are the things that are coming up that are, um, you know, my, one of my spiritual friends says, um, whatever arises is what you need to see right now. And, um, and he also says, what you're looking for, you are looking at. And... Um, that makes especially a lot of sense for me with regards to I always, I'm always, always thinking that it's outside of me, that God or Ho or whatever that is, it's that it is outside of me. So I, there's always this looking yonder aspect to, uh, to recovery for me. It's, um, it's so hard to uh, take the responsibility you know, recovery is responsibility. It's growing up. Um, so, uh, so in wrapping this up, um, I would say that the most important ongoing issue for me is when, I, when, when these tsunamis of feelings just overtake me, I'm a very emotional, you know, look, this is just how I, this is my experience of this lifetime. I look at other people, they don't, they are not as easily devastated by things, and that's none of my business, you know? Um, I am a, I watch and see everything it feels like, and that's what, when you put the drug, the drink, the food down, you be ready to be emotionally sunburned all the time, all the time, you know, and, um, and, and walk around like a raw nerve. And that's just, that is my lot in life for now. And, and when I embrace it, it has these, it's, it's just a gorgeous thing. It goes into absolutely every part of my artistic endeavors, everything. It makes, it makes, 
makes me the person that I am today. And also the person that can actually, when somebody comes to me in pain, whether it's a sponsee or what have you, um, I'm not scared away. I'm not scared away because I've been to these places and I, and I, and I still go there. They, they visit me now. It's not like I visit them. They just come and, you know, it's like either you're opening the door and inviting the demons in for tea. Make sure you set an alarm clock because you don't want them there all day and make sure the back door's open. <laughs> That's what they told me. Open the front door, make sure the back door's open so that they can wander through. <laughs> um, but this fear of, of this, this onslaught of feelings and like that, that I will, that I will drown in them, that I will be swallowed by it. And, uh, I haven't been swallowed yet. I have never been swallowed. And, um, I'll, uh, I'll end on this. You know, I was, I was recently talking to, a um, again, a very spiritual friend and heavyweight. And I was, I was describing these these feelings and like wanting to, I, I, I can't live with them. I can't, you know, it was, it was a very intense episode. And he said something. Um, he said, uh, even cancer wants to live. And I thought, oh, wow, we just, we all have these just, we just want to survive. We just want to live. And it made me, for the first time, look at something like even cancer is not the enemy, just something that wants to live. And sadness just wants to live. Sadness just wants to be sad. Rage just wants to cut loose and be angry. You know, um, loneliness just just wants to feel lonely, like really feel lonely. Um, and so. Uh, if I was in the food, if I was in the drink and the drug, if I was in any of these things, um, I wouldn't be a good host. I wouldn't be a very good host. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even hear the doorbell. <laughs> so, um, so I'm. I'm. I'm grateful to be handpicked to wake the hell up in this lifetime. I may not wake up fully, but you know, waking up a little bit and a little bit and a little bit at a time. And by that, I mean, you, you know, seeing things and seeing things doesn't mean they're going to change. It just, you're just seeing them. They will change or not change. They shift. Nothing stays the same, you know, impermanence, which is hard to summon when you're in the depths of despair because when, when I'm in despair, I think I'm going to be there forever. And then when I'm in ecstasy, I'm like, it's going to be short lived. <laughs> So, anyways, yeah, even cancer wants to live. Thank you. You have been listening to Qualified. Qualified is not affiliated with any recovery program. All organizations, institutions, books, people, places, things, and opinions expressed by each guest are entirely their own, part of their own journey of recovery, and not intended as medical advice. Qualified will never make a profit. We are self-supporting based on our own contributions and those of listeners. If you would like to donate to Qualified, please write us at qualifiedpodcast at gmail.com. 
All contributions go toward the production of the show, with any extra monies being donated to a pool of recovery-based organizations as suggested by our guests. If you have a story of recovery and you would like to be a guest on Qualified, please write us at qualifiedpodcast at gmail.com. If you are suffering from an addiction, there is help for you and there is hope for you. We on this podcast are living proof. Thank you for listening.